0: So here we are starting out a new year, 2024, just to be clear, one with a whole lot of weight given the implications of, oh, I don't know, global election cycles, inflation, sprinkle on a little geopolitical conflict, worker dissatisfaction, you know, just those sort of light things. Right. And so given all of that context, we want to help by really stating something clearly and loudly for the people in the back. Helping to dismantle or uproot systemic racism does not always have to be heavy.
1: Oh, I love that you said that because, you know, it can be as simple and meaningful as picking up a fiction novel and reading it and discussing it with your book club, like if you're Sarah or with your friends, if you're me and really hates the idea of book clubs in general. Just saying, just throwing that out there. Because once you see, hear and learn, we don't think you'll ever be able to, quote, go back to how it used to be, nor should we actually really strive to go back to how it used to be. Because what is that anyway? Anyway, okay, I digress a little bit. Because in the end, you'll change. You'll do things differently. You'll, for example, interrupt inappropriate jokes and racist comments. You'll hold the line. You'll make those ripple effects happen. Because change is not a one-size-fits-all phenomenon, nor is change-making really. And, you know, more often than not, these things start small, start local, and perhaps with just one intentional action.
0: I love that. And so given that context, whether you're reading it in a book club or with your friends, as Misasha stated, today we're going to bring you just that book, right? That fiction novel that we recommend that you read with your people in 2024. The fabulous co-authors of Rebecca, not Becky, who we are so lucky to say are friends of Dear White Women, Christine Platt and Catherine Wiggington-Green are two down-to-earth, interracial friends who drew on both their lived experiences and their research and work as DEI advocates to bring you all a very relatable story that will impact the way you see the world, no matter who you are. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We are your multi-ethnic friends, Japanese and white, Sarah and Misashi. Would you two please introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. I am Christine Platt.
2: Happy to be back with you all. Author, you know, advocate, mom, minimalist, all the things. And here with my dear friend
3: and co author. I'm Catherine Wigginton Green, and I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm a writer now, have a novel. <laughs> first one. And I'm an educator. I do a lot of anti-racist education, workshop development, curriculum development, things like that. And I also am a mom, live in DC.
0: Love it. I love that we all have the friend vibe going on. And it's wonderful to have you back on the show, Christine. Catherine, yay, Denver native, Denver here. So it's great to finally meet you. And between the four of us, I know that we could talk about a whole range of topics. But let's first focus on the incredible new novel you two have just published. It's subtly and not so subtly at times walking the line between entertaining and educating, right? I think it does both at the same time. What do you say about that? Can you talk about Rebecca, not Becky, and tell us about that line?
2: First of all, I love that you say that because that was the goal, right? We did not want this book to feel super preachy. And, you know, Catherine did a really good job (laughs) of calling me to the line when I was making it feel too teachy, right? We wanted it to be accessible, right? We really wanted readers to be able to see themselves in the characters so that it could facilitate and foster the types of conversations that we want folks to have.
1: So I am so glad we're having this conversation because earlier this week I had coffee with my friend and we happened to be moms to a combined three of the perhaps seven black kids in our predominantly white middle to upper class neighborhood. And so she was telling me about a next door post where a white woman mentioned she had a black friend who was thinking about moving to this area and wanted to connect her with a black woman from this area to ask her some questions. Um, so to which my friend volunteered as tribute, her words, um, not mine. <laughs> and then the first message that she got from this black friend was, okay, so tell me what it's really like for black families there. Meanwhile, the next door post had gotten, you know, 30 hearts and, you know, all the love guessing largely from white women, right? But to me, this highlights how different perspectives and experiences can be you know, when race is the differentiating factor here. And to save anyone from guessing, I think this is really important when we talk about Rebecca, not Becky, you two are different races. And, you know, and I say this because, you know, Christine, you're black, Catherine white. And I think because, you know, this is so important because it's clear that in co-authoring this novel, you brought your firsthand experiences to the sections that you wrote. And, You know, I asked this as a fellow author, was that easy to do or was that harder than you expected?
2: Catherine, you want (laughs) to?
3: Was that easy? Well, first of all, I want to see the next door forum. I would like to see the screenshot of that discussion.
1: It is something. I'll use the word something. Yeah,
3: I love that kind of engagement because as you pointed out, you can start to see just how different our perspectives are as if we're living in parallel universes. And so, I mean, you asked about the writing of this, but I I want to keep with the thread a little bit about that. That here are the white women on that next door form. It sounds like you're saying who are saying like, oh, it's a wonderful place. It's very welcoming, right? Come here. We're so excited. And then she's wanting to talk to a black person saying like, no, what's it really like? And in Rebecca Not Becky, I mean, Rebecca wants to be the best ally who ever allied, right? She's very highly motivated. And she, you know, got the community center of Rolling Hills to have a sign that says, all are welcome here. Except that doesn't really mean that DeAndrea feels Welcome.
2: Maybe we should give listeners just like a little bit of backstory. For those who are listening in, Rebecca Not Becky is a dual narrative written from the perspective of a Black author, me, and my friend Catherine, who's a white woman, both of us have worked in the anti-racism space for a very, very long time. And we decided to write this book that really showed a lot of different things. But one of those threads is how interracial friendships are Formed and what that really looks like. And so the novel sort of starts out with the black character, DeAndrea Whitman and her family moving to this fictional town of Rolling Hills, which we've already heard from a lot of readers where they're like, hmm, I think this is my community. I don't think this is a fictional town. <laughs> right. They're like, I'm where sure that is, you know, we set it in this fictional, very upper class suburb of uh, Virginia called Rolling Hills. And DeAndre is coming from the beautiful black oasis of Atlanta, which doesn't mean that she has not had experiences with racism. It's just that she doesn't have to be as race conscious because she is in this beautiful insulated bubble with her people, right? And she is forced to move to Rolling Hills because of life circumstances, adulting circumstances and enter Rebecca Milan, as Catherine said, the best, the best little ally who could. And, you know... We talk about what that looks like from that Black family first arriving, right? Or even before their arrival, because Becky's excited before their arrival and showing just the bumps and threads and, you know, just how our life experiences really shape us, right? And what we are bringing to this work and bringing to these conversations, like really being able to see ourselves and what that looks like. And so that's a little backstory
0: about the book. I love all of that because I think you do an excellent job of this character development of Rebecca in particular. You see the difference in her languages and in her interactions between the beginning of the book and the end of the book. And I think really helps a character go through things that I think a lot of white women do, like book club and the awkward conversations that can happen at a book club. You know, say hypothetically, if that were to be mentioned in your book. I mean, I think it also humanizes a black man In this book, in a way that I don't think a lot of books do in this realm, right? And I appreciate all of that. And I'm sure some of these were based on your real life experiences. And because you're friends in real life, I want to ask this question What were some of the surprising moments that you found in each other's chapters? Like, what were the stories or points that maybe one of you didn't want to keep, but the other felt like was critical to keep as you were shaping the stories that you chose to include in this novel?
3: Well, like, Rebecca, I really wanted these two women to become fast friends. so' be a book about how great a friend they are. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but it plays out differently, right than that. It's not necessarily that. And, you know, there were always funny things, like in dialogue that we would have where, we would, you know, we'd go to our respective corners and write after we had kind of plotted a lot of points and worked on our outline, and then we'd come together and read every few chapters and, and read aloud to one another. And it was usually really fun getting to hear what the other did. But sometimes one of us would read something that the other would say, and it was like, wait, what? That's not what happened. That's not what we agreed to. And that would happen a lot with me, where I would just, you, know, Rebecca took on a different life of her own sometimes, and I was there just kind of documenting her experience. <laughs> and. And so we had to kind of work that through and and kind of come together again and say, okay, well, what we said was going to happen isn't actually what happened because now we know more about our characters. And so how are we going to do that? And there are just little silly things. I mean, this sounds superficial, but I know like there was one time we were reading it and, and Christine had Rebecca saying something like, oh, let me go check on this right quick. And I was like, a white woman won't talk like that, you know, (laughs) or like the, the types of mugs that Rebecca has.
2: Oh yeah. I was Googling a lot, like expensive white people mugs.
3: Right. And they were Yetis. And I was like, she's not camping. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Truth bombs. This is so fascinating.
2: I was saying, you know how Google tracks like your your algorithm and I know it was just like, what is this woman doing over there? Right. Everything was like, what would a white woman, you know, and just but it was so fun, I think, for us to, you know, really poke fun. It's some of the stereotypes really see some of our own sort of, you know, inherent, just, I mean, there's a the things that we carry, it's just who we are and to like challenge some of that, right? I think the, and this is the only moment of real contention that I can think about, and that I can recall, Catherine, you're laughing, you know what it is, but... You know, one of the things that you mentioned, Sarah, was, you know, you got to really see a holistic version of a black male character. Right. I mean, I wanted to really show this family dynamic as being honest and authentic as some of the families that I know are. Right. It's not that they are perfect, but, you know, they're not as tropey as we see in in some of the other narratives, especially commercial fiction. However, I am also a historian and I try and fit history into everything. And as Catherine said, we had a chapter outline and I was supposed to be writing about this parent diversity committee from DeAndrea's perspective. And it literally turned into like a whole history of race and racism (laughs) in America 101 (laughs) graduate edition. Right. And so like I'm reading my chapter and I am just, you know, I have Rebecca going through this slide deck and it is horrific. And normally you know like i'll get a chuckle here from Catherine, or she'll say like oh i really liked it it was just like and she was like hmm, that was heavy or something like something along those lines right but i could see to really like it and i was like that's right it's heavy the history of race of racism is heavy and they're about to get this in this book right and then we sent it into the editor and the editor was like oh that's a lot and the editor at the time was a black woman and i was like you know and so like It took both of them, though, to really get me to understand that sometimes that intensity isn't necessary, right? But that was like the only sort of real sort of point of contention because, you know, I think, you know, you pushed back and you're like, oh, maybe you could tone it down, you know, as a friend would say, like, be really nice about it. And the editor was like, this is insane. Like, no, like, this is a lot, you know. But it took having conversations with Catherine as my friend to really trust how we could Still, get sort of the same messaging across in this parent diversity committee meeting without leaving readers like sobbing or overwhelmed or feeling just too heavy, right? Like it, it wasn't necessary. And at the time, I didn't see it because I just had tunnel vision of wanting to have this one particular perspective on it. But I think that's like the only real, that was like the biggest source of contention. And that was on me. I'll own it. I'll use that scene somewhere else in some other horror novel that I write.
0: <laughs> Speaking of other novels that you might write, I'm really curious, you know, you mentioned it that it's important that this is a novel written by a Black woman and a white woman showing these two perspectives. How would you position this book in like all of the different works that you have done? And what is new and special in terms of the things that are out there right now in this space? What's new, different, special? How do you talk about this book?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the things Catherine and I realized early on why people don't write <laughs> dual narratives in this is it, it, it actually is very convenient to have the characters not be so much in each other's lives and in each other's business. And so, you know, this was a very challenging dual narrative approach, right? And we took it on, we set out to do it and, and we stuck with it. But I think it's important for me to note that, you know, I wasn't just writing a book with a white woman, right? But this is a white woman who has been at the heart of this work, someone who is an ally and who has been deemed an ally because of the work that she's done, not that she has, you know, taken upon that title for herself. This is someone who's been doing this work for decades. And I I met her doing this work, you know, I knew her as a colleague before she became a friend. And you know, I knew that if we were going to write about the complexities of race and racism in this way, that we had to do so honestly, right? Like, yes, we wanted to add a bit of levity, but it had to be done honestly and authentically. And that was going to require a lot, especially for a white character. So I do think that we have seen dual narrative. I mean, some of our friends are, you know, interracial authors and have wrote interracial sort of narratives and dynamics. And But I think what's very unique is having two practitioners do this through a fictional lens right and so being able to not only write it as a teaching tool but also be able to use it as a teaching tool because this is at the crux of our work and what we've been doing for a very long time and I know I keep like plugging Catherine as this uh, I mean she's wonderful this is what she does is facilitate difficult dialogue that is how I came to know her and I you know I would love for you to speak to that Catherine because I think it's so important that was at the core of this novel is you know what do we want readers to walk away with and this is what I leaned very heavily on Catherine for
3: yeah you know the sometimes when we are trying to like a lot of communities want to talk about race right and so they'll say let's have a conversation about race let's have you know A courageous conversation right about race right now and let's like all come together and it's very organized and we come in with ground rules for conversation right we want to put a lot of form and structure on it and you know we're not saying that we shouldn't do all of that but it keeps it feeling very heavy all the time and race and racism is a heavy topic and it's fraught and complicated and we conceived of this book in the wake of george floyd's murder when things were very very heavy not only for that, but just because of the pandemic and everything going on. But we thought, well, what if it didn't always have to be so heavy? What if it didn't have to always be so complicated? There is enough complication and heaviness in the subject matter and in this issue and in people's lives and experiences. But what if we could go at this in a way that could add to the conversation so that we are, there are some things that don't have to be heavy, right? And being able to connect with one another on the way that we are, you know, raising our children or serving in community roles and things like that, or, or caring for our aging parents and being able to have those conversations without ignoring race was really important to us and being able to poke fun at ourselves and having, uh, you know, some joking around a little bit, um, being able to recover when we mess up instead of it just being this like, oh my God, I'm horrible. You know, I mean, Rebecca, when she meets DeAndrea, she gets her name wrong and then she spins out because of it. You know, knowing the weight of everything she's read on social media, that that is a microaggression and what have I done? And maybe I'm the, you know, the worst white person ever because I got her name wrong. And DeAndre is like, whatever, she corrected it, moved on. (laughs) But Rebecca put all this weight on it. And then that just changes the dynamic. You can't really have a friendship with somebody if you just spiral deep within yourself every time you think you've made a mistake. And so we wanted to poke fun a little bit at the way that we do engage in that, all of us, so that we could maybe not live there and be able to have fun in those areas and be able to recover mess up recover have relationships have those connections so that then we have more bandwidth and space and energy to dig into like the really hard stuff which is when we have to get come together as communities and interrupt what's happening structurally systemically in our lives I love that because the tone of
1: the book and the structure of the book, to me, coming from like a a multi-ethnic household, right, a Black, Japanese and white household, where these conversations don't just happen outside with other people, they happen inside our household. It was very real. And that was kind of the greatest part to me about this is that... This is a book that to your point is, yes, these are heavy topics, but these are within our everyday lives. They are interwoven in ways that we don't necessarily think. And when they come out, you know, and and how do we think about them? So for me reading this, it was like, there was a level of validation. I don't know, for lack of a better word, where I was like, these are real conversations. This is really what happens. And so, and I'm also one of those people who was like, hmm, This seems very familiar. This whole area where, you know, rolling hills. But, you know, so I really appreciate that lens, right? To sort of take away some of the heavy and make this accessible and remind us that, you know, this is like a lifelong thing that we are going to mess up. We're going to say the wrong thing, you know, but we're just going to get back out there and do it again because we care about people as friends and we want to care about our communities as well. So that to me is a huge takeaway, you know, that hopefully the readers are taking away. What else do you want the readers to take away from this book? Or what is your hope for this book?
2: Well, we were recently in conversation with Glory Edom of Well-Read Black Girl. And you know how you felt validated. That's how I felt. (laughs) being in conversation with her and her saying like, Oh, yeah, there were some cringe moments for me, right? Like, or there were some uncomfortable things or I saw myself, right? Because I think too often when we're having these conversations about race and racism, there is always this onus that is placed on white folks, right? And I wanted through DeAndrea's character, I wanted black readers and other readers of color to be able to see themselves as well, right? Like we all bring our own preconceived notions. And, you know, there are things that we joke about, right? Like, I really wanted to show those authentically in DeAndrea's chapters. And I remember uh, Catherine telling me one of her friends had read uh, one of the advanced reader copies. And she's like, yeah, I had to look some stuff up. Like, I didn't know what that meant, right? In DeAndrea's chapters. And I was like, yes, like, that is what I want, right? And I also want you know, black and brown readers to be like, oh yeah, I've said that. And now I see how that might have made that person feel. I thought it was funny, but you know, like we have to see each other and really talk about these things, right? And I think that is what's so fun doing it through fiction. It allows the reader a little bit of distance, right? Just enough for them to see themselves and laugh at themselves, right? But not feel like they're in that place where they do have to spiral out and get into their heads, right?
3: Because damn, I just said that
2: you know? And so, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Catherine Rowe would do
3: that. It's so interesting because there's lots of things that I want people to get out of it, which might be unrealistic. When I made the documentary about race and racism, I thought that I would, you know, go into communities and show the film. It's a 90 minute film. And then we'd have a 45 minute talk. And then all of my points of view would be relayed to everybody and they would walk away with, you know, understanding structural racism, their role in interrupting it and, you know, move forward, right? And then you realize so quickly that on some level, it didn't even matter what I wanted people to get out of the film. And so I've been thinking about that with this, and I can't wait to talk with more people after they've read the book. I mean, we're in, we're a few days after um, our publication day, but I can't wait to see what elements of this and what corners and what parts of that are in the margins and outside the margins of the book that people like bubble up for them that they want to talk about because every community and every group of people and every person needs to take this conversation into a different place. Like Christine said, we hope we can, you know, the book can meet people where they are and where they need to go with the conversation. And I just, I can't wait to hear what other people take away from it. I hope that like one big thing I hope is that people understand that this is a book that is about friendship and community and motherhood that doesn't ignore race, but it doesn't have to be a book about race. That's something that I hope comes from it.
2: Yeah, I hope so too. And I hope people who do enjoy the book leave reviews because the people who are, are just like another book about race, like we were still writing it. You know how they like publish the, you know, it's the ISBN and the cover is up there and they're like one star and we're like, we're still writing it. There's no way you even read it yet. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so we love when we're anytime, and we've been hearing from a lot of people, they're like, oh my God, I love this book. This is going to be so great for book club. I can't wait to use, you know, to talk with my sister, right? Like we need those reviews because the folks that don't want us to have these conversations, the folks that understand the power of racial solidarity, right? Like this is not their book. And they don't want anyone else (laughs) to be reading it, right? And so I love the reactions that you all have. And I just want to say like anyone who has an opportunity to read Rebecca, not Becky, and enjoys it, that to just remind them and encourage them to leave a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. We'd like it. But even if it's four, if it's like, just leave an honest review about what it spoke to and awakened in you. It's just very helpful for authors more than readers know.
0: Such an important point to emphasize. And I think that actually can be expanded so broadly because we have said, haters are really loud. And we ourselves, when we published our book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, it wasn't even published yet. And there were all these one stars on Goodreads. And we're like, dude, it's like not possible, right? And you have to fight the system. And there seems to be this assumption among people who understand that There are 8 billion people in this world and we all have our different experiences, that there is such a thing as structural racism, that we need to work together in community. We would never exist without each other and therefore must look out for one another. There's this assumption that that's the right thing and so we don't need to fight for it. It's just the good. So I feel like if we look at where we are in society as a whole too, we need people who want to make positive change or at least hold the floor under us as a society To start doing something, to start speaking up, to stand up at the holiday table and say something, to hold the line, whether it's leaving a five-star review for your book, or voting differently, or showing up at your kid's school and saying, "Let's discuss different topics." We need people to be more engaged. And I think along those lines, I was wondering if I could ask you, you know, what do people listening to the show do you think need to do on like a personal level, with regards to maybe what in corporate is called DEI? but in our real lives is called having friends who are different than us and just, right? And building community. What do more people do you think need to do to make a positive difference?
3: Well, the opportunities are endless, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> because there are there is inequity at every level in every corner and crevice of our society. And once you start to understand and do the analysis, the opportunities present themselves Everywhere, and I don't mean seeing race everywhere or inventing problems where they aren't. Are I mean that you really, truly want to understand? You can see how things aren't working for everybody. And so I always say to people, you know, because there are so many opportunities, sometimes it's so overwhelming we just kind of put our head in the sand and we don't want to do anything, or we only pay attention to what's happening online, or we pay attention to like you said, the loudest voices in the metaphorical room, which are the ones who are coming you know, from a place of hate or bigotry or just wanting to maintain the status quo. And so they make all the noise. And then we think that that's the problem everywhere. But if we actually go local and look around us and see what kind of movements and initiatives are happening in our own specific communities, in our sphere of influence, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we can see that there's a lot of really great work going on. And I mean, nothing makes me more emotional than when I hear about a group of people that's come together to take care of one another, you know, within a community. And so I think that if we can think about what we're called to do. So if someone is much more is find themselves called toward, you know, education or the environment or healthcare, you know, these kinds of things, race is in all of that. And we can find people who are doing work to interrupt racism in every one of those areas. And so really, we just have to pick something and just start doing it because somebody has already started it. It's been going on for a long time where people have been trying to make change and progress, and we can join existing movements. We do not have to invent it ourselves, and we don't have to be part of this big national conversation. For some people, that is important, but it doesn't have to be all of us.
2: I'm just going to co-sign on that.
1: I think that's so important to remember because I think we often take this national or nothing view on, you know, how we address things or it's, you know, it's got to be the biggest form of it or it's nothing at all because it's overwhelming otherwise. And I think thinking about who knows community needs better, right, than you in your own community and the point that you made, Catherine, about finding the existing work, right? Finding the people who have been hugely invested in this, you know, Sarah and I had a conversation about this, with Steve Phillips, I'm finding the people who are hyper local, who've been doing this for a really long time, and joining it, because I think also the impetus is like, let me just start my own thing. And then you try that for, you know, 30 seconds, you're like, wow, this starting my own thing is real hard. So I'm good now, and I'm out. And so I I think that there is a place for everyone. Everyone has that within them. And so that's so important. I'm really glad you brought that up. I want to shift gears for a second and take us back to the book, because you mentioned that you are sort of right in the start of, you know, the promotion, all of this, you know, talking and thinking about the book and publicity. And we are sure, and we know from experience, there's a lot of demand for promotion. So if you have any highlights so far, we'd love to hear those. And we'd love to hear what's next, too, in terms of how you're talking about the book.
2: Highlights, Sure. We had a fabulous book review in The Washington Post, and that debuted on Pub Day, which was... I mean, that's like how you want to start Pub Day, you know? We were recently featured in Ebony. We were Amazon top 10 pick for December. I mean, like, it, the book has been see- receiving wonderful reception. And I think, you know, that's beautiful on the publicity side, but one of the more beautiful moments for me was actually on launch day. And I had a chance to really get to meet a lot of Catherine's like extended network. I've had a chance to meet and hang out with several of her girlfriends. We have partied together. Like we've had some good times together. It's just so nice to meet this community from all walks of her life all areas of her life she you, you said you felt like it was your wedding <laughs> there were people there were like oh every path that she had walked in life someone was there and then also people from the dc community and like being engaged with conversation with them that night i think was just so incredibly powerful and i was like okay yeah we did something Catherine, and this is a real opportunity to make meaningful, meaningful change. So that's like the biggest publicity highlight for me. What about you?
3: I mean, all of that. And the other thing that I loved about our launch event, we were at the library in downtown DC and before they had bookstore that co-sponsored it asked us to come in advance and you sign all the books. So it could make the signing line go faster afterwards. And then they had books to sell too, for people who showed up and hadn't bought the book yet. After we gave our talk, which I mean, Glory did like amazing job at moderating great questions and everything and then audience questions as well. But afterwards, the line grew again and people were coming with extra books that they had bought. And the bookstore ended up selling out because everyone after hearing us talk, where they were like, oh, can you sign this for my sister? This one's for my mom. This is for my aunt. This one woman was like, oh, this is for my best friend. When we were growing up, her best friend was black and she was white. And she was like, we always like to watch stuff together. And she wanted me to watch the color of friendship with her when we were kids and then talk about it. She said, so this is our new color of friendship. And so that was like, I love that because that's what we want. We want people to not just read it, but read it with other people and then talk about it and see what like what it means to them and their relationship and their communities and everything. So that was, that was by far my favorite part so far.
0: Yeah, it's been beautiful. It makes me happy hearing this. And so I'm so grateful that the universe is receiving this in the way that you intended. And I'm very, very happy for you both. You know, what else haven't we asked that you want to share with our listeners?
2: Oh, what else? I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I feel like I had so many conversations with your audience from minimalism to talking about books with my children's books, right? And I think what's been so nice for me is for folks to get to know this side of Catherine. People have seen Catherine in pictures with me and they've seen us do, you know, like little things together, right? And so I think what's so beautiful is, you know, this is an opportunity to show what interracial friendship can look like and what it can be about and some of the beautiful things that it can birth, you know, and so I think that's like really, really powerful. And I mean, I know that's not a question that you asked, but like, that's something that I wanted to share, because, you know, we know that it takes everyone to do this work. And historically, that's how it's been done. It's always been collective work. And it is going to take all of us to continue to move the work forward. And I think, you know, we're not only showing what that looks like as colleagues, but also as friends. And so yes, yeah, it's just a really powerful and special moment
3: for me. Yeah, thanks. And I think, you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is the, well, we talked about Malik, right, DeAndre's husband and how he's, you know, and that relationship and how DeAndre wrote his character. But there is a lot to dissected I think in terms of the relationships with the men in the book and I'll share that last night my husband got a text I actually haven't told Christine this yet (laughs) because I forgot until this very moment is he got a text from one of uh like our dad friends right like one of the family like the school friends who we've known for a long time since our kids were in like pre-k three together and now they're in eighth grade and he texted my husband and he was like the men in this book are a bunch of like happy idiots aren't they (laughs) and I mean he was joking but and I thought, oh, well, that's not really what we were doing. You know, it wasn't that, but I thought, oh, I can't wait to have a conversation with him about why that is his perspective of what's happening with the men in the book. That is a conversation I'm I'm interested in having because the men do kind of float in and out of their lives. But I think for a lot of women who are married to men and at this stage in life, it might feel a little bit like they might sometimes be background characters in their family's lives. And in this case, Certainly Rebecca and DeAndrea are shouldering the burden of almost everything. But that's not, you know, that comes from real life. That is an experience a lot of women have.
2: Yeah. We've also heard from men that we're like, thank you. <laughs> right? Because oftentimes they aren't able to really see themselves. And I think it does come from just feeling like, you know, they are just this background character, right? Like they went from being at the forefront from being the husband groom, right? And all of a sudden, it's like the kids take priority, life takes priority. You know, we talk about aging parents, they take priority, right? And so I think it has been nice to hear from those folks that are like, men that are like, mm, Okay, see where I could be doing a little bit more. Let's see how I look. I didn't know I look like that. But now I know that I look like that. And so I agree, Catherine, it'd be great to have a conversation around that. And it would be great to like, give him a little time to process too, right? Because sometimes that pushback does come from a place of uncomfortableness, right? You know, there were, you know, have been folks, some dads who were more aware that were like, "Mm, that's me, right? But sometimes it takes folks a little bit more to get there. And what I can say about all of the characters from DeAndrea and Rebecca and their friends, the husbands, the kids, right? Like, we have weaved in our own personal experiences, the experiences of our friends, friendships that we've had in the past, right? We know that these are based on real life circumstances and situations that sort of form and manifest and make these, you know, types of characters and people. And so I do feel that we can confidently stand on that and say, like, no, this is real. It might feel uncomfortable and it might look uncomfortable and you might cringe at seeing yourself, but yeah, this is real. Right.
3: Which is exactly the conversations that we want to be having with readers. And I remember with the documentary I made someone, another man in my life who was white reached out and said, well, can we talk about that part in your movie where they said all white people are the problem? And I was like, it doesn't say that. (laughs) Like that's actually not in it. And I could roll tape for you and show you that that is not what's happened. But what I'm deeply interested in is why that is what you heard. And what that meant for you. And let's have that conversation, which is what, because everyone has their own subjective experiences with anything, but with reading this novel, they're going to see these things. And yeah, let's like, let's pull that thread about why that made you feel uncomfortable and why you think that the men are being, you know, sort of in the backdrop in that way.
2: Yeah. I think too, we also didn't talk about the kids and we're all moms, you know, and I think, you know, one of the things that we really tried to show
3: is how our children,
2: I mean, they are just some of life's best teachers, right? Even though we didn't ask them to come here and teach us anything, you know, I used to be like, dang it, Mala!" you know, they just call you to the table without even trying, you know. And so, you know, we also used our the protagonist children as a vehicle to sort of, you know, foster and facilitate some of these conversations and to get to some of these difficult points, because they do reach some of these places a lot faster and a lot easier just because of their innocence, and so, want to make sure that I mention that that is woven into the narrative as well, right? Like we've all had that experience as moms. Where we're just like, yep, yeah, you told me about myself, but I'm gonna just go over here and sit with.
1: It's pretty much daily in our house. So I can definitely agree. And I am so excited, for lack of a better word, to hear like about the uncomfortable conversations that are going to come out of this book. Because I think that is, it is such a great tool for having those conversations in a very real way, right? Because the characters are real, the situations are real. All of that is so real that hopefully people will be thinking about this in their lives and getting uncomfortable with, you know, having these conversations moving towards change right and i so i'm super excited for that so for all of our listeners who now want to buy the book not only for themselves but for their sister you know their mom their colleagues like their book clubs you know where can they find the book where can they find you too where can they find all of the
3: things well anywhere bookstores are sold <laughs> where books are sold so any bookstores right anywhere people want to get the book it is widely available and You know, honestly, it's at a price point that's pretty accessible as well. Not only is it easy to read, but it is easy to get your hands on this book. It's also of course at the library and on Audible, if people wanna listen to it. They have two really great voice actors who are reading the roles of DeAndrea and um, Rebecca, which we loved listening to it, hearing it come to life in that way. And yeah, I mean, we really, really hope and encourage people to buy the book in community, right? So buy in bulk, not because I'm like trying to sell a bunch of books, but because we want people to have the conversations together. And we're available. I mean, we have, you know, our websites and you can find us on online, but we're also available to help have those conversations because we've been doing that for more than a decade, having like helping people have their own conversations within their communities about race. And racism. And the more that we do this in our book talks and hear more and more from people who have actually read the book, once it's been out for a little bit longer, then we can start to understand where these conversations need to go and, and help people, people make meaning of it together.
2: You can find us on our website. I am christineplatt.com. And my Instagram handle is the same. And should we tell them what's happening in January? about us all being together you want to tell them you want to tell them there
0: yes who i get to interview in real life irl in denver colorado so for any of our colorado listeners plan to be at tattered cover on saturday january 20th 2024 You can look for the information out there or ask any of us, but I am absolutely thrilled to be in conversation with the two authors of Rebecca, Not Becky. Please plan to come out and spread the word. Yes and I think that's it
2: yeah and like Catherine said we're I mean we're accessible like you can hit us up on Instagram you know we answer our DMs we do our own social all that thing all that jazz or you can also just reach out to us and if you you know want to have us come to your school or want to have us come you know be a part of these conversations like that is something that we we more than welcome
0: You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.